Luke 15, or verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, He said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. We're talking about a happy home. I believe happiness ought to be found in our homes. Let me remind you once again, I'm not speaking of biblical joy. That ought to be a permanent resident in our home. I'm talking about literal, smiling, bubbly happiness in mom, in dad. You say, dad, it's not very bubbly. He needs to get it. He needs to make sure there is a little bit of happiness coming out of him. Uh, his face, his countenance, his action. We've got a surplus of grumps in Christianity. That's not what we need a surplus of. We need Christians to bring happiness to their home. And kids need to know. Now, you don't need to tell me you're happy. Kids need to know. The kids need to know that when you arrive at the house. Here's what we see in the story of the prodigal son. We know the context. Uh, this chapter is speaking about recovering that which is lost, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. But I want to talk about recovering lost happiness in the home. Because here's a dad uh, living a pretty good life, and then a son decides he's going to leave. And I can't imagine. Now, Obviously, this is a, a parable. We all kind of consider different ways. I can imagine a son here that uh, has a doting father, a loving father, a kind father. We know this father figure here is a picture of God. The father, the older brother, is a picture of the Pharisees. And this was directed to the Pharisees. But I want you to understand where we're headed tonight in the sense of this home had a great interruption when this child left with a heart of rebellion, and I, I like to imagine that dad actually had a party before the party. We, we consider the party of reconciliation when the son comes back, the prodigal son returns. But I believe when he took off, I, I believe dad still had faith in this boy that he was going to do the right thing. And I think he was trying to help him stay accountable in saying, uh, I've, I've sold some acreage, I've gotten rid of some cattle, and uh, I've given my son some money, and let's, let's pray over this boy now as he takes the next step and makes some decisions that there'll be some wise investments, maybe a college degree, a career, uh, and some good choices yet to come in life. Uh, any dad, as he says goodbye, it doesn't matter if he moves across the street or across town, uh, out of the house, uh, there's a little bit of, of fear, just a, just a touch of fear, because he wants in his heart for that young man to make a series of good decisions so he can reap the benefits the rest of his life. And there as he says goodbye and shakes his hand and gives him that hug and sends him out the door, I think he knows deep in his heart uh, the direction. He's already seen the direction this boy is taking. But he's hoping possibly maybe something there has been taught to him over the previous two decades, something's going to stick and guide him, uh, but it doesn't. And he takes his journey into a far country. And here's what we see 
a home that loses happiness, and, and we're, we've given several points already. I don't want to re-preach those points. I will re-mention those points. And one of the things that takes happiness out of a home is disobedience. And parents, let me remind you that uh, in life, Bible principle, Christian parents of all parents that ought to be teaching their children to obey, it ought to be Christian parents. How sad it is that we have a new generation of parents that's bought the lie of the world, that kids are disobedient, that's just who they are, that's just what they do, so you need to negotiate. There is no negotiation concerning obedience and disobedience. We have created problems uh, for everyone else involved in the lives of our children because they think obedience is optional. So when they go to school, when they go to class, when they go to nursery, when wherever they go, uh, uh, they have a parent that has already trained them, or should we say mistrained them, taught them that obedience is optional depending on how they feel and how much they desire to obey the command that's given to them. Anybody here old enough to remember the day when obedience with parents was not optional? Did you have one of those parents? They didn't, did not provide you A, B, C, or D? You can kind of obey, you can disobey, you can disobey and throw a fit, or you can argue with me and I'll negotiate with you, you little terrorist. You know, that's modern day parenting. You would think the parents would be motivated by the embarrassment alone. The embarrassment of the repeated school situation or nursery situation or club situation or supermarket situation or whatever situation it is that they're creating, that alone to me would be a motivation. God help us when we start giving kids options. You say, Pastor, it, isn't it phenomenal? Normally, the, the same parents that can't teach the kid to obey have pets that obey. They got a pet goldfish that'll jump through a hoop. <laughs> a dog that'll roll over. A cat that will use a litter box to take a dump. <laughs> but a child that's totally untrained, undisciplined, and out of control. I can't wrap my mind around it. Don't try to help me wrap my mind around it. I don't want to wrap my mind around it. Disobedience will take the joy right out of a home. Impurity. Now we talk about this. I don't want to rehash this. This, at least the father here sets guidelines and says you're not going to bring the hogs to the house. And nowadays, kids don't have to go far from home to have the fart country in the home. It's provided. Internet, cable TV, music, radio, you name it, parents are actually facilitating children going to the far country and they never have to leave their bedroom. From pornography to all kind of garbage on TV to the world's music, mom and dad are actually paying for them to go to the far country where they can stay in their own bed, eat meals off mom's table, and yet live a double life in private, they live in the far country. In public, they're living in 
dad's house under dad's rules. That'll take happiness right out of home. Now, how many of you say, preacher, I got that this morning. You have no need to pre-preach any of that. I'm, okay, we'll move on. Let's talk about another happiness killer, disunity. Now, look what it says in verse 13. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. And uh, let's say the next few words together. What's it saying? Took his journey into a far country. Someone in the home was already growing distant. Now, I really would love to have everyone tonight put aside whatever distraction you might have. Because this is really a lot more applicable than you might think. When we consider the prodigal son, we, we put him in a little box of a rare case when rather this kind of behavior is very common in the average Christian home. This journey started in his mind. This journey didn't start on a motorcycle or the back of a horse or a car. This journey started when he saw possibly what others were living and enjoying and some of the pleasures or the money that was being made. And let me just say that usually that journey where someone begins to distance himself from the rest of the people in that house, especially in a Christian home, nine times out of ten, this is not a vice, it's not a sin, it's not an addiction, it's not something evil, wayward, or even sinful. Satan uses good things to get get us to take a journey to a far country. There are a lot of Dads that sit at the mill table on Monday night, but they've already begun a journey, and kids know dad's distant, and mom knows dad's distant. Uh, sometimes it's the wife, sometimes it's the teenager. They're there, but they're not there. They're physically there, but they're emotionally on a different journey. They're physically there, but they're spiritually on a different journey. Their, their minds already begun to wander. Their desires have already begun to travel. And they're distant and everyone knows it. And for dad, for everyone in the home, it's usually caused by something unique and different. But normally for dad, it deals with the chase for money. And, and I know we're, we're Christians and we're pastors. You don't have to worry about me and the love of money. Yeah, we do, actually, because you're born in America and it's 2021 and this is a natural thing that takes place in the natural man when there's an opportunity, a provision for the love of money. Not there has to be a lot of it. There's just opportunity to get more. And soon that father's not just providing for the house, but chasing uh, as much as he can get, trying to accumulate as much as he can get to provide for that wife as much as she can have. And in doing so, he begins to take a journey. And usually, what happens, Satan will lie to you and tell you, well, you know, it's, it's church, you're just so busy in church and ministry, you're so busy in ministry. And isn't it amazing you spend three hours at church and 50 hours at work, but it's church. This distance you from your family. 
You're not consumed Monday night with church ministry. You're consumed with tomorrow's responsibility at work, but it's church that's taking you away from your family. It's two hours on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday night that's really tearing up your home. I've heard that lie before. You've never submitted to surrender your heart and life to God, but you've surrendered yourself to a company, and if they demand 70 hours, 80 hours, a weekend, a late night, there's total submission. And here's what is taking place. The prodigal son is growing distant, and you can tell it at the dinner table. You can tell it in conversations. There's no longer someone sitting there that is fully engaged in this home. Guess what? The majority of Christian homes, if you sit them down tomorrow night at the dinner table, someone will be there that's not fully engaged. It may be the person on the cell phone. It may be a frustrated mother. It may be a preoccupied father. It may be a child that hasn't communicated with mom or dad in years, and that distance is only growing. There's more awkwardness. There's more awkwardness now at our dinner tables, Christian dinner tables, than ever before. So to terminate the awkwardness, the television has to be turned on. A phone has to be stared at. Conversation has to be invented. Conversation not even natural anymore. I take great pleasure in getting with families in the church and seeing something that is natural in the communication between the family members. And flags go up when I get with people and you can see the natural awkwardness. Kids and parents or husband and wife. And this boy had begun a, a long journey before he ever stepped out the door. Uh, this young man had already, and there, uh, regrettably, uh, despite the fact that we have an abnormal situation, the sense of kids that are on fire and young people that are developing their walk with God and truly have a passion and a fervor for the things of God. You, you might be surprised how many people are sitting in here tonight, suits and ties and dressed for the house of God, but, but their mind's in a far country. Yeah. They've already established it's a well-beaten path. It's just not one that's visible to everyone else, but their mind goes to the far country every day and in private, in their personal life. There's a well-beaten path to the far country, and no one else is aware of it. God's aware of it. But church becomes awkward, and family becomes awkward. And sometimes that, here, here's what happens. Sometimes that husband is distant at the table because uh, he's, he's already developing a relationship with another woman, a emotional and emotional relationship where it's easier to converse with someone of the opposite sex outside of the home than inside of the home. That's a dangerous spot to be. The pastor is at an affair. Oh, if you, if you term things the way the world terms things, affair is actually not a negative thing. Affair, fling, relationship. God calls it adultery. One of the killers of happiness in the home is the disunity caused by those that are already stepping out on a journey. So tonight I, I want to ask you, are you connected in your own home? Or are you disconnecting? Is there a togetherness? I, 
I want my home to be the happiest place on the planet. I, I want serving God to be something that we do together. I, I don't want to ever, I hear the lies all the time. I, I'm so sick of the lies spewed out of pastors' mouths. If you want to lose your family, you always find an excuse to lose your family. Ministry does not destroy your home. No, how many times I've, I've heard the lie of people that lost their kids and say, well, I guess I was just too busy in ministry. No, you were too busy in ministry alone. When I serve God, I want to do it as a family. So if I haven't spent time with my wife, I don't stop going sewing and I take her with me. If I don't have time with my wife, I don't stop praying, I take her with me. That, that may mean that I, I may actually have to go to a store with her. That's okay. But I, I don't ever see my kids. Do ministry together. Do meals together. Make the drive together. Have the conversation together. Turn the TV off together. End your day in prayer together. Have extended conversations together. Where phones are actually ignored. Computers are turned off. Music is turned off. Radio, TV, Xbox, gaming. You you want to talk about something destructive to a home? Gaming. This is a huge... You say, Pastor, I don't know anyone in here that's a gamer. I hope no one in here is a gamer. But I'm guessing... The law of averages tell me there has to be some gamers. Parents, if you want to destroy the future of your children in their homes, allow them to become a gamer. You disconnect from family. You disconnect from reality. You open up doors of pornography. There's a disconnect there. So what do I need to do? Reconnect. Turn all of that off. You, you need to do a little personal study on the word devices in Scripture. Isn't it a blessing to think when, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, that we're worried about EMP threats from North Korea. You better worry about an EMP threat from heaven. He's going to turn off computers. What's this world going to do without their computers, their cell phones, their watches? This world's going to be losing their mind. God's just in, one, in, a, in a, single, a single appearance, shut it all down. And then people are going to have to actually talk to each other. They're not going to have a phone to be able to communicate across the table with their wife. How many notice the restaurants have gotten quieter? And you see a husband and wife sitting at the table, they're having a date. And she types to him, what are you going to eat? And he types to her, I don't know, I haven't looked at the menu yet. What about you? We've, we've disconnected. Husband's living his life. Woman's living her life. Created their own sets of friends, own sets of habits and hobbies. It's their own little world that rarely connects. Maybe late at night, both are tired. Their lives only intersect in time to have a collision, head-on collision. You know what we need? We need happiness restored to our home where we say, okay, let's find those things that are disconnecting us from each other and let's get reconnected. Uh, Let's sit down at the table together. Let's smile in the living room. Let's turn off some of the devices. Uh, Let's go have fun together. Let's go out 
together. Let's cook a meal together. Let's uh, travel in the same car occasionally. <laughs> Let's help the church par parking lot situation and actually find a service occasionally when, you know, it's all, all of us in the same vehicle saving gas, going green. <laughs> I believe we ought to go green occasionally. Now, it wasn't just the younger brother, so he disconnects, goes to the far country. He comes back. You can stay locked in, tuned in, sitting at home under the fireplace and be disconnected. Look what happens. Uh, elder son, verse 25, was in the field, and as he came and drew night of the house, he heard music and dance. He called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. He said to him, Thy brother has come. Thy father killed the fatted calf because it received him safe and sound. And he was what? And he, let's read that phrase together, would not. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He would not go in. How many times have we seen in Christian homes, someone in the house is refusing to get involved in the party? It's family night. I refuse to go. I got homework. I got studying to do. I, 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 I got stuff to get done. Dad says, I, I, you know what? I can't disconnect from work. And mom says, I got to get things prepared for tomorrow. At some point, your house needs to be a party. You know what I want? I, I want to pull up. Doesn't matter how many cars, I mean, how many cows are in my driveway. No, you, you know what? I want, I want to pull up into my neighborhood. And, and the minute I, I start pulling down that driveway, I want to have the sensation of I'm almost home. I get to be with my family. I, I promise you, if you, if you come to, to, to our house, night or day, day or night, morning or evening, there's a happy party going. Even when Ashley's half awake, there's a party going. <laughs> I don't care who's there or what the reason is. Our house is a party house. There's never any screaming going on. Never any fussing going on. Everyone in the house knows if there's a little tension, we've got to figure out what it is, sit down and get it talked out. I'm thankful for communication between all three of our kids. I don't ever want our house to stop being the refuge that it is from a crazy world. Uh, I believe pastors are losing their kids because their house is not a party. So they deal with all the pressures of ministry and the problems of ministry, and then they come home and the house is in chaos and there's frustration and craziness, and they're bringing that for the, the problems and the garbage and the frustrations home. And then from the music to the... TV to the whatever it is going on. There's a disconnect and Christians, let me help you out. When you walk through those doors, Daddy, it's time to connect. Amen. Whatever journey you're on, get off of it. When you walk through those doors, it ought to be about connecting with each one of those kids, with your spouse. Those kids need to know Daddy's not just home physically, he's home mentally, he's home emotionally. They don't know we have all of his attention. That's a home. 
And here's what happened. This, this home that at one point was a beautiful place to be is now an awkward place. I imagine if I would have gotten at any time when that prodigal son was gone an, an invitation to eat barbecue at their house, I would have bypassed the invitation. And then, afterwards, knowing what we know, can, can you imagine this home from, from this moment, Luke 15? I know it's parable, but go, go the next day. Okay, you have an angry pharisaical brother that's disconnected. He refuses to go to the party. The inheritance has already been divided. So the younger brother wakes up the next day with a cake hangover. The barbecue sitting heavy on his gut. He's been eating corn husks. Suddenly, he's got three pounds of ribs just, just sitting on him. And older brother kicks the door open, walks into the bunkhouse, says, bro, let's go, five o'clock. I don't got time to wait on you. I don't know what kind of lazy life you've been living, but that's over. Let's go. Let's roll. You got a tense brother going to dig deep with, a, with his younger brother that's wasted his inheritance. Not a pleasant place. You know why? Everyone's taken a distant journey. Everyone's gone to a far country. And our homes today are filled with people that have gone to a far country. Oh, can you imagine if, just, if, if this fact alone would take place, there would be unity in our Christian homes where everyone that walked through those doors, as soon as they walked through, there was just some kind of magic connection where they said, okay, the problems of my day have been left outside of this door. I'm walking in to love and connect and participate in a refuge from a world. It's every day a little bit crazier. Your kids need some kind of refuge from this world because the world they're living in is a whole lot different than the world that you grew up in. You say, well, my refuge was out there in the trees. My refuge was out there wandering around. My refuge was milking cows. My refuge was... That has changed. They're hearing things you never dreamt would happen unless you read the book of Revelation. Bring the refuge with you. And by the way, that may mean occasionally you bring home ice cream. Some of you connect better if you'd occasionally bring home ice cream. <laughs> Look what it says in verse 12. And the younger, verse 12, said to his father, Father, give me. If you notice this generation been told that they are owed something? Literally, they, they walk around. It doesn't matter if it's school or... Okay, what are you, you going to give me today? They walk to church like the pastor owes them something. They look at friends like, uh, you are my friend now. That means you owe me something. You're my parents. I'm God's gift to you. So you owe me something. Huh? You're so lucky to have me eating off your table. And so lucky that you actually get to pay my bills and iron my clothes and wash, wash them for me. You are a lucky, lucky mother. You could have me at least 18 years, and if, if you're lucky enough, maybe 25. You're blessed. Uh, give me this. This is a generation that literally walks around like this. We, we got young people that think they're owed $15 an hour just because I'm me. I don't know anything, I have no skills. I can look dumb and act dumber. 
I perfected that, but I hope that classifies for 15 bucks an hour with benefits. Oh, God, God help us. When he walked out the door, you're talking about the world's biggest ingrate. Now, this will, this will steal the joy right out of a house. And here's why you ought to train those kids early in life to become grateful. Because the older they get, the more grateful they become, the happier the home. They get up from a meal and say, thank you, mom, that was delicious. Even if they're lying. Still makes you happy. Dad, thank you. Thank you for the house. Thank you for the car you're going to buy me one of these days. <laughs> you, you ought to get really happy just about your birth. Now, now think about this for a minute. This alone, it should have made him really happy. All the God had blessed him with... But he thought God was holding something back and his parents were holding something back and there's something more for me to have. So dad, you give me so I can go get what's rightfully mine, what you've been holding back from me enjoying. It devastated this home. Devastated that boy. Now, if you just consider birth for a minute, I was born an American. Okay, 195 countries around the world. How, How was I born American? 350 million out of nearly 8 billion people, and I, just that alone means I'm blessed. The the fact that you're, now I know this country wants you to hate your history, and this country's turned every positive into a negative. They've lost their mind. So you need to tell them, if America's so bad, choose 194 places to live, because we'll be pretty happy without you. I, I, I've traveled, you know what, those people that tell you America is nothing have never traveled outside of America. Right. Tell them I've got some friends that will bite you a ticket. I, I will. Happily buy them a ticket. You're born, you're born in America. That means you're already, you're living the dream. How is it that you don't have war going on or civil war going on? or You know nothing about extreme poverty. You're not walking through sewage on your way to school in the mornings. You get to eat something besides rice every day. You're bloated not from hunger, but from overeating. You don't ride on a horse. You ride in a 2018 Tundra. You don't sleep on a mat or concrete. You sleep in a beautiful bed with nice, smooth, silky sheets, double pillows. You don't have to go to the neighborhood store to see a fridge. You've got one in your house. You're living the dream and don't even realize it. How is it that you weren't born in Eritrea? Or Uganda? Or Somalia? How is it that you weren't born in Nepal? In a mountain village that knows nothing about electricity. You just take it for granted. And if a light bulb goes out, end of the world. I mean, you can wake up and actually request what you get for breakfast. And every day, normally, it's something different. Ridiculously spoiled. You're an American. Now, that alone, if you had no other blessing outside of that, How did you end up being born in the United States of America? 
But hold on for a second. You weren't just born an American. You were born with a healthy body. I mean, if this boy was working on the farm, I doubt he was pig-legged. I don't know if he's dealing with any other syndromes or blindness or palsy or... I think he was pretty functional. I mean, you've, you didn't deal with cancer in your youth. You're, you're not dealing with any serious diseases besides the lack of cerebral functionality. <laughs> He's trying to figure out what that is. The terminal, terminology went above his cerebral capabilities. You, you ever travel through Mexico and, and you see these people on the street, no legs, selling, selling newspapers for a quarter apiece? That is their life. You, you see kids uh, in the Shriners Hospital. You, you know what you got? You have all your capacities functioning. They're functional. Mostly functional. That means you're blessed. So, so hold on for a second. You're born in America. You're born healthy. And then you were born Thompson or Dilworth. Well, let's just get more general and cover half the congregation. Hoffmeister. Okay, what about, what about the people you visit on your bus route that are born in America and born healthy? Dad's a drunk. Mom's a prostitute. They don't know which one of those three men they see occasionally is actually their dad. I woke up every day to the same mom, same dad. Never drunk. No drugs. No smell of smoke. We may have eaten falafel, but there was a hot meal every day. So, I mean... You, you went from blast, every step is just more blast. So you're American, you're born healthy, you were born a Dilworth. Okay, well, you know what we just did? We went from 8 billion to 350 million to 238 million, but now we just shrunk it to about 2 million. Can we say there are 2 million people that have any kind of household anywhere close to Dilworth? Kelly's, or Sullivan's, or Johnson's, or Besa's, or Cantu's. Now hold on for a second. Not just American, not just healthy, not, not just to the Simpson family, but, but then to a Baptist yeah. church family. Because there are some decent families in the wrong doctrine. And this morning, those kids had to watch Dad stand up and go, Riva, Riva, Shiva, Hara, Hara, And the kid was like, That's not my dad. I don't know what happened up there, but that's not my dad. Your dad may be half crazy, but at least he has the right doctrine. He put you in a good school. Under amazing ministries. A church where people love God. No flash, but no faking either. 
just a place where people are real and accepted for being real? Can you see how we just kept narrowing the numbers? And you live on a pretty unique island of blessing. Can you help your child understand that? Can you get them to wake up and just say, I'm living a really good life and I had nothing to do with that. It wasn't multiple choice and I made the best choice. It was God actually allowed me by birth. All I did was one day come out into this world and I was already top of the food chain. Now, here's, here's what's sad. You would think this, this boy would have realized it. Has everything going for him, but somewhere he said, I think I'm going to walk away from this. You people that love me, good food, financially secure in the future, I think I'm just tired and sick of dad's love and mom's cooking and financial stability. Think what I need to do is go eat with some hogs and just, you know, take my fortune and ruin it. Now, here's ingratitude. When you take the good that God's given you and you don't use it for his honor and his glory. Young people, did you get that? So, Joseph, everything good that God's given you, it can't let your name. Name Jenny, your parents. You got everything in your favor. If you take all that good that God's invested you and you don't use it for his own, that, that, I mean, we think wasted his substance with riotous living means drugs, alcohol, fornication. It was a brother that inserted in our imaginations prostitutes and whores. There's a very good chance that had nothing to do with reality. Everybody goes in the world, doesn't just goes straight to the devil, 6th Street, the whorehouse. Some just totally give themselves a hoard of money. So if God invests in you all that was good, and you simply say, I'm going to go live my life for myself, you've wasted your inheritance. You're an ingrate. If you don't say, God gave me that for his honor or for his glory, I'm going to make sure that I use it to exalt his great name, you're an ingrate. Now, here's what ingratitude does. It, it takes the happiness, it literally sucks the happiness right out of a home. It says, when he came to himself, verse 17, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, perish with hunger, I'll rise, go to my father, and say, I've sinned. So he leaves there saying, give me, he comes back saying, what? I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of my heart servants. Now here's what, when he came to himself, implies, we mentioned this this morning, that the brain stops functioning. Sin shuts off the brain. You know how many times I've had people mention me, Pastor, I don't know why I did that. I can't believe I did it. How did my husband manage to do that? I'll tell you why. Uh, what was he thinking? He wasn't. What was my teenager thinking? They weren't. Sin shuts, literally, it, it turns off the brain. And the Word of God turns the brain back on to help you come to yourself. So this ingrate, when he leaves, is saying, give me, when he comes back, he says two statements. I'm not worthy to be called thy son. 
Now, a child that's an ingrate says, I wish I had that parent. Who could they do for their kids? Someone full of gratitude says, I'm not even worthy to be called a Thompson. I'm not worthy to be called a child of God. A, a child that's an ingrate says, I'm not your slave. Clean up the house. Clean up the garbage. Clean up my room. You clean up my room. That's the ingrate. How can I help you with the dishes? You ought to make the food and do the dishes. And be thankful that I live here. Have you forgotten I'm your gift? My gift to you is me. That's the ingrate. He leaves here with his hands out. He comes back saying two statements. I am not worthy. How many parents have ever heard these words? You know what you ought to do during the invitation tonight, young people? You ought to go find your parents, look them in the eye and say, you know what? I just want to express gratitude. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Let me, let me ask you something. We don't have to go to extreme cases. You take someone like Miss Edmonds, widowed with five kids, one's a baby, twins are 12. She's working a job, going into debt, just trying to put food on the table, some imperfect decisions. You tell me which one of the kids were worthy of a mom making that kind of sacrifice, just take five kids and get them through life with a husband that's permanently gone in a time where welfare programs weren't stepping up. And she's saying, by the grace of God, we're going to make this happen. You, you tell me which one of the kids are worthy of Ms. Coupe. I mean, do, do we have to go person by person and family by family to say, uh, who's, who's worthy of those parents and the sacrifices that they've made to make sure you have what you have? Now, you know when the light turns on from ingratitude to gratitude? Oh, as adults, now we say, no complaining about the parents. If you're complaining about your parents as an adult, you're worthless. Don't, don't waste five minutes of my time. Don't ask me to sit with you and uh, chat over a meal. I don't have five seconds to waste with you. You are a waste of waste. I don't know if I can get any clearer than that. Because when the light turns on, you understand uh, what your parents have invested in your life to facilitate your future. No matter how many bad decisions they made, there ought to be some level of gratitude. I know there are some exceptions. I know there are some horrific people out there. Maybe you were born into that home. But if you're sitting in Capital City, most likely you weren't born into that home. If you're a second generation Christian, you're definitely not born into that home. You need to find that parent and say, I'm not worthy. And then the next word that comes out of heart of gratitude says, just make me a servant. You know what kids are wandering around saying? I ain't no one servant. Take out the garbage. I always got to do the hard things like take out the garbage. <laughs> Life can be difficult, right? I mean, you got to actually go out, tie up the plastic, walk around the corner of the house. 30 seconds of your day is ruined. <laughs> Rotten parents. 
You make your bed? Come on. I got to sleep in it. And then you might want to make me make it? You got to be kidding me. Pull the sheets up? They don't even do an inspection. I mean, you'd be like a hobo bed maker and it's fine, but you got to complain about that. I mean, I, really, Mom? Then you expect me to take the plate from the table to the sink? You're going to write an autobiography, The Longest Five Yards. <laughs> My mom was a communist. She's like, take your plate to the sink. That's the reality of this generation. Now, here's what's sad. When we're talking about happiness, this isn't contained to today. Here's the tragedy of the prodigal son. We talk about happiness in the home. Happiness is destroyed by a child through wrong choices, impure living, but that consequence doesn't terminate in the next 24 hours. The consequence isn't ended. The, the joy doesn't, isn't restored. Here's what we see. We read Luke 15 and we see this big party in the barbecue and we go, praise God, group hug, all good. You have a bitter older brother. A younger brother is going to pay the rest of his life as consequence of having ruined his, just wasted his inheritance. And a father that's happy to have his son returned, but he sees the strife in the home, and every time he sees his son, he knows the waste that was made, and he says, how do we make tomorrow a better day? Now, young people, dads, here's, here's why we ought to fight for our homes. Because if, if Christianity becomes a set of rules, you're going to create an unhappiness in the home that's going to cause them to, to, to jump ship and take the wrong journey. But we ought to be fighting for happiness in our homes because at the end of the day, I want godliness in a spiritual environment, but I want happiness as well. Because at the end of the day, I've seen the unhappiness produced by the kids making the wrong decisions. And we praise God, the prodigal's returned. And the, there's joy at the moment, and there's hugs. But talk to me about the next day. Amen. Then happiness lingers for the rest of their lives and your life. Church, when we talk about our homes, let's look at a world out there that's lost their mind and say our homes have to be a refuge, have to be a biblical refuge. They have to be a spiritual refuge. 